Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker Podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully you guys enjoyed your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching not only the ATP finals, not the ATP finals, uh, that's also there, not, not, not only watching the next-gen finals, not only watching the ATP Stockholm finals but also watching the atp finals as well there's a little bit of news that we can get into in terms of news outside of the tennis world in terms of news outside of the tennis world we can get into john gruden suing the nfl joe biden saying that satchel page is the greatest negro of all time and we can also get into snl spoofing joe rogan in a sketch and just my overall thoughts and opinions on it and just how unfunny it was basically uh, but in terms of news within the tennis world, we can get into Carlos Alcaraz versus Sebastian Corda for the next-gen finals, and we can get into my weekly pick that I'll be ending the podcast with. But for today, where we'll start off for today, will be Denny Shapovala versus Tommy Paul at the ATP Stockholm final. So if you guys didn't watch, Tommy Paul beat Shapovala 6-4, 2-6, And I want to like be clear here. I knew that on Thursday's podcast, I, I said that I was going to that I was going to recap the final the day of. But the thing with the final is that I just it lost steam, right? I, I want to be very clear with this. ATP Stockholm lost steam after after Murray lost, and after you saw other ranked players lose as well. And that's not a knock on. Tommy Paul, that's not a knock on Shapovalov. Obviously, Shapovalov is a great player. Tommy Paul is another good player as well. Um, but I, I just wanted to say that it, just, it definitely did lose steam at the end of it. And I, I it was pretty visible uh, and pretty apparent on social media as well, through Twitter, through Reddit and whatnot. So I just wanted to uh, say that out of the gate. It just lost steam. I, I, did, I definitely did lose my interest, even though I did uh watch some of this match i definitely watched the second and third set of this match um it just wasn't that interesting after a while uh the entire tournament so uh, again i just wanted to say that and uh i gotta be more careful with the tournaments that i try and cover or the tournaments that i extensively cover or focus a lot of time on because it's one thing to focus a lot of time on like an atp 1000 tournament it's not it's another thing to focus entirely on an atp 250 tournament so I have to understand, this is more of a note for myself than for you. I just need to understand where to draw the line between what is deemed to be worthy to cover and what's not deemed to be worthy to cover. So hopefully uh, I, I get that out of the way uh, before I discuss this match. But Shapovalov uh, lost to Tommy Paul. And just to give you a little bit of insight as to what allowed these two individuals to reach the final, Tommy Paul had wins over Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafu, and Andy Murray. Shapovalov had wins over... Felix Ogier, Ali Asim, and Rendrick Neck, just to name a few. Um, ATP, ATP Stockholm is a really fast-paced court, and it's night and day compared to Paris Masters. And you're going to see a lot of serves, a lot of aces, uh, explosive base, baseline play by the two of them, and it's points that more often than not are ending near the net. Um, maybe not so much with volleys, but in terms of passing shots, in terms of getting it to the other side of the court, and uh, with the correct amount of pace, 
all that uh, leads to a person to win. And that was pretty evident by Tommy Paul in this match. It was 1-2-30 uh, all. Uh, Tommy Paul ripped an amazing forehand down the line for a winner. Um, and that was just like, in my opinion, that was one point, uh, and I think that was in the first set as well, that was one point where it gave you a little bit of a hint as to what we can expect from Tommy Paul in this match, in the runtime of this entire match. And as a result, um, it definitely did lead in the, into, into a more progressive way for Tommy Paul in that first set. Obviously, he won 6-4. It was a little bit of a regression as well for Tommy Paul in that second set. Uh, he did lose 2-6 pretty decidedly. Shapovalov just had amazing serves. Uh, he was able to control the tempo of the entire in, of the entirety of that second set. And overall, he just got the better of Tommy Paul. He just couldn't get on Tommy Paul's level. Uh, he couldn't get on Shapo's level whatsoever. And it was very sort of vintage Shapovalov that we saw and that we're accustomed to seeing in that Wimbledon uh, run that he had just this past year. So when you see Shapovalov and when you see uh, that second set, it was very reminiscent of what, we, what we've came, come to expect for Shapovalov at this moment in time. And it's just good to see him uh, get that second set because if he lost pretty decidedly to Tommy Paul, if he lost in straight sets to Tommy Paul, uh, that's that's one match that would be horrible to get past. But uh, good for Shapovalov to win that second set uh, pretty decidedly and to make it more competitive, which I think was very admirable on his part. Um, now, having said that, all that, and I know I gave Shapovalov his credit. I know I gave him his flowers, but I do have to be critical and be honest about his play. Uh, that third set could have easily gone his way. Uh, he could have easily won that third set. I mean, he had so many opportunities, but failed to really go for it at critical times. And what I mean by that is that there were certain backhands that he tried to achieve and tried to get within the court that just weren't within the parameters of the court. Um, it, it was one of those times where I was very sort of doubtful as to whether or not Shapovalov could really pull this off based off those backhands that I saw. And that just goes to show you the pressure and the pace that Tommy Paul had when it came to having shots that would lead to unforced errors for Shapovalov. And that was sort of the running theme for Shapovalov in that latter half of that third set. I mean, Shapovalov was up 4-3 in that third set. And he had so many opportunities to put away, and it just wasn't the case whatsoever. And as a result... Um, Tommy Paul was able to sort of level the playing field, uh, keep him isolated to just winning four games in that third set, and allowed, it, allowed himself to take the upper hand, to get the upper hand, and to win the next three games to take the set, and as a result, to take the match as well. So uh, Tommy Paul was able to win against Shapovalov 6-4, 2-6-6-4. It was pretty eventful for Tommy Paul. It's hard for me to forecast what's next for him. It really is, um, but I'm excited to see uh, what's to come for him. You know, I think he's a player that can win maybe an ATP 1000 tournament next year. Um, he has a chance to. It's a it's a good possibility that he could win an ATP 1000 tournament, but uh, him winning a major, I I don't think so. I'm sorry, I, I don't. I think the American field right now is way too competitive it's there are other more deserving players that have a better chance of winning i think taylor fritz is up there riley opelka another 
Um, I know people say Brooksby, but I'm sort of doubtful on Brooksby. I think Fritz and Riley Opelka, I think both of those individuals have the best chance of winning a major out of the current crop of American players. I just don't see um, Tommy Paul being able to achieve that. I don't really see Tommy Paul being able to uh, get to their level anytime soon. So uh, that's just my overall opinion on Tommy Paul. Let me know in the comments below as to what you believe Tommy Paul's future will be. Um, I'll try and respond to all of them. I usually do. I have no life. So, um, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think Tommy Paul is a good player. Uh, but is he good enough to win a major? No. Is he good enough to win an ATP 1000 tournament? No. I, I think he's... He's going to. He, I think he's in the running to win one, but I don't think he's going to be able to outright win one, uh, if that makes any sense whatsoever. So that's just my that's my just uh, that's just my opinion on Tommy Paul. Uh, listen, he played indoor. You know, I for me it's hard for me to view indoor tennis courts or tennis tournaments the same way as outdoor tennis tournaments, because it doesn't factor in the outside weather you know and i do think that outside weather does play a big role as to whether or not a player can really succeed and really thrive you know when you're at wimbledon center court and there's an overcast above you and when there's a little bit of wind how does that affect your serve you know when you have uh rain or, or precipitation that uh, occurred just before the match started how does that affect the pace of the ball you know so it, it, it's hard for me to really quantify indoor tennis tournaments as a testament to a player because of the fact that it doesn't take into account outside weather conditions and how it's so night and day compared to actual tournaments or an actual uh, majors that do take place outside. Now, don't get me wrong, all these tournaments, they play in more so ideal weather, uh, but there are times where people won't be able to see the ball. You know, there are times where when it does occur at night, especially the U.S. Open or the the Australian Open, there are times where the lights that are there that are being displayed at the court more often than not aren't aren't that ideal for targeting a ball or hitting a ball. You know, all that really takes into effect uh, that may not be there with indoor tennis courts. So that's just my overall opinion uh, on the Tommy Paul Denis Shapovalov overall, I thought it was an okay match. I didn't think it was that great to begin with, uh, mainly because of how lackluster ATP, ATP Stockholm was and just how sad I was that uh, Andy Murray lost. But overall, it's uh, congrats to Tommy Paul for winning. Uh, I, I just don't see how it can get any better than this for Tommy Paul, and I'm happy. I will be happy to say I'm wrong if I'm proven. To be wrong you know i hopefully i am because i do want to see people flourish and succeed and do well but i i don't see how it could get any better for tommy paul i, I really don't so uh that's just my overall opinion on uh the uh, adp stockholm final uh between shapovalov and tommy paul all right let's get into carlos alcross versus sebastian corda next gen final so alcross beats corda 4-3-7-5 with his tiebreaker 4-2-4-2 i don't know how they quantified this match i don't know how they scored this match I'm guessing when it's three when it's three all, um, they go to tiebreaker. When it's three two, they don't. I don't know. Maybe they go to tiebreakers in the first set, but they don't do it in the second set. I don't know why it's at best out of four when it comes to games in a set. Uh, that it's a little weird. Um, the court was also this 
entire tournament i i just watched a little bit of, the, of this tournament because obviously this is the next gen finals it's not um the actual atp finals so obviously it doesn't have that much importance uh as the atp finals but uh this court was simply a single style court there were there were no lines for doubles it was just one court one court one singles court and it was very similar to that of like an older Australian Open or an older tennis major that you see on YouTube, and like in the 70s, 80s, uh, go check it out if you haven't. It, it's pretty interesting to see just how much tennis has evolved since then. But the court was simply a single style court, uh, and I, I just felt it was a little weird to see. Honestly, I, I thought it was a little weird to see all of that. Um, but the court uh, was um, of singles, and just getting to this match, Carlos Alcaraz won, and he was amazing. I mean, let's just—I mean, he won in straight sets, so obviously he was amazing. Played all parts of the court to the best of his ability, and gave well-timed shots when need be. And you know, this sort of solidifies that he can win a major and can get to the ATP Finals. And I'm just so excited to see what's next for Carlos Alcaraz. Um, there are times in this match where he was just simply the better person, just the better player. Uh, his serves were well-timed; they were well. Uh, constructed his shot selections were also well constructed uh, his ability to get to near, near the net and to full Sebastian Corda was also great uh, his uh, his chances of not getting an unforced error were extremely high uh, he was able to maintain himself in rallies uh, compose himself when uh, shots weren't going his way and overall his overall composure and his ability to see the core for what it is and to maintain his stamina and his mental health uh, throughout this entire match, I thought that was very impressive. And uh, he's one of those newer individuals that uh, can really accomplish all of that and then some. And I think Carlos Alcaraz is a person that you got to check out uh, and really support and rally behind because he is a very likable dude. I mean, make no mistake about it. Like, when you see Carlos Alcaraz, you just want to root for him. He has that lovable sort of gutsy, you know, underdog mentality within him. And it's really interesting to see how he's able to maintain all of that and still be able to win. So I think Carlos Alcaraz, he's only 18 years old, only 19 years old. He still has a whole life ahead of him. I think he's going to win a major. <laughs> I know, I know, you know, people like to sort of forecast. And I know people want to say five years down the road, 10 years down the road. I think he can win a major. I really do. I mean, and maybe the Sitsipas one was evident, but if he's able to have matches like these time and time again, he's going to win a major. And he may not be the first one within his generation to win one. Uh, I still think John Exeter has more of a chance to win one than, say, Carlos Alcaraz. And I still think the Stefano Sitsipas and the Zverev still have the ability to win a major as well. But, and I, I do think that those three or those two uh, will win a major before Carlos Alcaraz. But hey, five years down the line, you know, when Nadal and Federer retire, he has the chance. He certainly has the chance to win it. So it, it's, uh, I'm excited to see what's going to come next for Calls All Crossed. And um, yeah, I, I'm still wondering how they scored the next gen ATP finals. Like, I really do. I, I don't know how they scored it or how they quantify the scoring. It's pretty weird, to say the least. Um, so, yeah. 
that's just my overall opinion on the cross all cross and Sebastian Corda Corda. I only watched a few a little bit of this match, like latter half of the third set, and a little bit of the highlights, but that's about it. Um you know, obviously there I, I didn't address the elephant in the room, which is um the Peng Shui uh story. I will talk about it probably on my Thursday podcast or not, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I might talk about it. Obviously, I, I think you know where my opinion is on that. Obviously, China is an authoritarian state. And, um, you know, I think we should be supporting Peng Shui. Uh, or wh- whoever the ATP or WTA player is that's currently being barred from China, from the Chinese government. So, obviously, it's a sad situation all around. And, um, you know, obviously, um, it just shows you how we take for granted freedom how we take freedom for granted in this country in america so uh you know obviously you know my thoughts prayers my condolences uh go out to her and her family uh it it obviously stinks to see this happen so obviously um just want to get that out of the way because i know people were interested in me talking about it and obviously it's a big tennis story so uh, I'll, i'll get into it on thursday's podcast but just wanted to at least talk a little bit about it uh, before I move into the political societal topics of this podcast. Also, I, I want to mention this to you guys as well. Um, I will be performing stand-up comedy, so if you're in the greater Boston area, go check me out. Uh, I will be. Uh, today, I'm filming this on a Monday, but if you're at the great in the greater Boston area, if you want to go to Revere, Massachusetts, Sammy's Patio at 8 p.m., that's where comedy will be taking place so sammy's patio in revere massachusetts 8 p.m monday i usually perform at sammy's patio go check me out at sammy's patio tomorrow i'll be performing at winter circle at salisbury massachusetts at around 7 30 tomorrow salisbury massachusetts 7 30 i will also be performing at model cafe at alston massachusetts 7 p.m so go check me out in those locations 7 7 15 i would say uh at model cafe so get go check me out those locations and i will also be at donahue's watertown massachusetts at 7 p.m on sunday so go check me out it will be in the link in the description box below it's all free so don't worry uh just support the bar support the restaurant um yeah i'm just working on some new material just thought it would be important thought it'd be pretty impressive if you guys would uh, come check me out if any of you guys do listen to this podcast uh, or or in the greater boston area so yeah, that's just my my thing. Go check me out live. Come see me out live. Would be very much appreciative. And, um, you know, I mean, hopefully I can put up a stand-up clip online uh, sooner than later. You know, I'll probably put one up, say, maybe in December. Um, you know, just wanted to show guys, just wanted you guys to know a little bit about my, about my stand-up, what I do, so... There's no sort of confusion as to what I'm trying to do or what I'm trying to accomplish. You know, like I know people say that, oh, we are you trying to be the next Gil Gross? And, you know, I, I sort of play coy and be facetious about it. Uh, no, I'm not trying to be the next Gil Gross. Um, he, he is a magician. You know, I mean, if you want tennis news and analysis, uh, obviously, if you want to check out my channel, go check out my channel. But he, he does a great job at it. And uh, in fact, I think you guys should go subscribe to him if you haven't already. So uh, for me, I'm just trying to be a a comedian and uh, use tennis and things within our political and societal realm to parlay into people actually knowing about who I am 
and uh, what I bring to the table essentially. So uh, yeah, I just want to give you a little bit of a, just wanted to give myself a little bit of a plug here uh, for my comedy because I know my lane. I'm not trying to be Gil Gross. I'm just trying to be who I am. Uh, sometimes I like to cover tennis. Sometimes I like to cover things within our political societal realm. And um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where for me, as long as I'm doing what I love, uh, that's 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 what matters. So uh, yeah, I just wanted to give that out, just get that out of the way before uh, people sort of, because I know I've been having an uptick in subscribers and I'm very thankful for that, you know, but uh, I, I didn't want anybody to give the wrong impression of me. Uh, I know where I am. I know my lane. So, all right. Um, let's get into the next topic, shall we? So SNL basically spoofed Joe Rogan in a sketch. This past Sunday, uh, there was this cold open, this Ted Cruz cold open, where they were essentially putting Ted Cruz, but in Sesame Street. And uh, as we all know, SNL is very funny. Uh, and they really show that in that sketch. I mean, man, they're really breaking new ground uh, over there at SNL, at 30 Rock. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was, it went as well as you would expect. It did really bad. Uh, the internet tore it apart uh, for obvious reasons. Pete Davidson played Joe Rogan in the sketch. Um, it was very weird because he didn't block out his nail polish. Uh, but that's not the weirdest part of it. The thing that I found to be very weird is the fact that Pete Davidson is six foot three. Joe Rogan is five foot three. He is a literal midget. All right, like you can't just pan over. Like the thing with the sketch is that they have Ted Cruz and and some Big Bird character, uh, and they're sort of talking, and all of a sudden they they bring out Joe Rogan and they pan the camera just to the left where. Pete Davidson, who plays Joe Rogan, stands a, basically a foot taller than that of Ted Cruz. You you can't do that. If if you're going to have Joe Rogan in the sketch, pan to the left and then pan down a foot, because that's Joe Rogan's actual height is five foot three. So again, there's so many different ways to sort of make fun of Joe Rogan, but yet you got to do it in more smarter ways than that. And if I if I had to like sort of punch up their material, that's what I would do. It wouldn't be funny because let's be honest, the sketch was doomed from the start. Uh, maybe if I if I had to like punch up their material, I would say like pan to the left, pan down, and then have like Joe Rogan with a stool, you know, because he is a notorious stool humper. I mean, that's what I would do if I was like a writer at SNL. But again, the sketch was doomed from the start. It was not that funny, um, and I don't want to be the person that says, "Oh, SNL in general isn't that funny," because I'm not part of their audience. All right, like. When you think of SNL, the average audience member that watches SNL is some 20-something-year-old white girl who lives in Brooklyn and lives with her dad's credit card and probably voted for Elizabeth Warren while reading BuzzFeed and HuffPo. I mean, that's their average audience. I mean, that's their average demographic. So obviously, I'm not going to fit within that description. I have a very different life experience than that. And if you're into comedy... You're not looking for SNL to find your comedy fix. You're going to look at alternative ways to find it, whether it's Mark Normand or Shane Gillis, Tim Dillon, or you know some of the greats as well, some of the legends, the Stan Hopes of the world, the Louis, the Bill Burrs, the Patrice O'Neills, the Chappelles. You know, there's certain uh, people that you go for your comedy fix and that create better comedy and are way more funnier and way more talented than that of SNL. And I know people are going after you know the 
the sketch and whatnot. And for me, like, if anything, you should go after SNL for stealing sketches, right? Just this past Saturday, they stole Shane Gillis's Uncle Daycare sketch, right? If you look at SNL's Man Park and then put that side by side with Shane Gillis's Uncle Daycare sketch, you can easily tell that they ripped it off. Easily. And people should be going after that way more than that of, say, you know, Pete Davidson playing Joe Rogan. like, Or, you know, having SNL play Joe Rogan. And for me, like, I'm not mad at Pete Davidson. Actually, I have a lot of respect for Pete Davidson. I mean, I, his, you know, he, he should, he's, you know, I mean, for obvious reasons, I have a lot of respect for him. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do. I mean, I mean, who, I mean, he's just so fascinating. Like, how can he pull that much, you know, above his own weight class, you know? But uh, the thing is, is that if anything, this is just, this just shows how the writers need to get better. Like that, that's what it is. You know, that's, that's what it shows to me when it, when it comes to uh, the, just the entire Rogan debacle that happened with the cold open. You know, there's so many different ways to make fun of, of Joe Rogan, but how they did it just wasn't that funny. I mean, there's so many, I mean, think about it. Like Joe Rogan does DMT. He's 50. Like, like there's something to make fun of that. You know, you could poke fun at that some way, some, some way, shape or form. You know, there are certain uh, things that you could make fun of. I mean, the fact that he has something called alpha brain. There's so many different ways that you can make fun of Joe Rogan, but they chose not to. And they instead went for the lowest common denominator or for jokes that essentially uh, weren't that well thought out. So, yeah, I mean, it just shows you that SNL just needs to get better with their sort of voice or with the way that they handle uh people like rogan i mean because there are better ways to make fun of them you know if anything people shouldn't get mad because of snl made fun of joe rogan they should be mad at snl for not being funny with how they dealt with joe rogan if that makes any sense whatsoever so yeah i mean overall that's just my uh, overall opinion on all of that and uh hopefully they just get better you know hopefully the sketches get better which i can confidently say probably won't happen uh but yeah yeah <laughs> yeah all right um but there was one interesting tidbit that occurred uh so on sunday afternoon uh tim dylan and michael che got after it um and che was through his instagram stories going after tim dylan for uh basically saying how snl used to be funny and how it can still be funny but how sketches like the joe rogan sketch prove that it's lost its charm and Michael Che was like, oh, is this the Tim Dillon, the Tim Dillon, who used to be funny but now isn't and now is a public speaker? And uh, listen, I like both of these people. I have no dog in this fight, actually. Uh, but somebody responded to um, Che uh, on Instagram. They DM Che by saying 190000 a month on Patreon, which alludes to the fact that Tim Dillon makes 190000 a month on Patreon. And Che... Uh, basically responded by saying, I don't care if it's a zillion. I know Tim Dillon and he ain't what you think he is. He's a sweet, humble guy who really tried to stand up, got nowhere, became a media personality because it's much easier and we're all very happy for him, but don't get fresh Tim. And uh, Tim Dillon then sort of responded to his comment by saying, here's the reality. I sell more tickets than Michael Che. I, I sell more tickets than Michael Che ever has. I don't think he's allowed to use his website for his job. And I built something on my own that he could never do. Che has done well for a drunk 
who can barely read. But his show sucks, and he knows it. So some harsh words from Tim Dillon. Um, I actually weighed in on this on Twitter. If you guys want to check out my Twitter, go check out my Twitter, A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R, with an underscore. So AJ Tucker with an underscore at the end. I say, I know people want to see Tim Dillon and Michael Che fight, but I would much rather see the two of them run a marathon. Got no likes, got no retweets, but I thought it was funny, and uh, I still kept the tweet up. Didn't get blocked by either of them, which... For shame, I really wanted to get a block, but uh, yeah, Tim Dillon, Michael Che, they went after it. You know, it's it's uh, very uh, weird to see individuals, see comedians have beef with one another, because comedian beef is and it's it's gay. Uh, it really is. I mean, when you see two comedians beef with one another, maybe at one point it was funny. You know, maybe Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor going after one another, uh, maybe that was funny. Or Eddie Murphy. Uh, Eddie Murphy, Bill Cosby going after one another, excuse me. Uh, Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor did have a good rapport with one another, but Eddie Murphy, Bill Cosby going after one another, I thought that was funny. Uh, but now it's just played out and corny, and things like this sort of show why. Uh, because the more comedians sort of beef with one another, uh, it takes away from the jokes. And I know Michael Che wants to promote the special, and he's trying to find ulterior motives to do it, and... Getting Tim Dillon, a person that made it on his own, tweet about it. Obviously, that gets people to watch a special and whatnot. But uh, there's just better ways to showcase that you're funny uh, than comedian beefs. Uh, in fact, I have way more respect for comedian roast battlers than people that beef through comedy. Because at least with roast battle, at least you're trying. I, I, I get it. You know, I'm not a big fan of roast battle. It's formulaic, it's derivative, it all follows the same pattern. It's either you look like jokes, or X is more than a Y, or uh, a simile like, insert person is like X. It's it's very formulaic, it's very derivative. Um, it does get stale and tired out after a while. Uh, but I have way more respect for like roast battle comics than say that of comedians that have beef with one another. Because it, it's kind of sad to see it. Uh, having said that, I'm w- I'm very interested and very excited to listen to the new Tim Dillon podcast because I know he's going to mention it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited for that to see. Um, so, yeah. Overall, it, it's SNL. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. It's, it's not for me. Uh, I will say that. I, I don't fit in their demo, so. Um, all right, let's get into uh, the next topic for today. Um, hopefully, uh, we uh, hopefully I got into it a little bit uh, with that topic. But let's move on, segue into the next bit uh, or next topic, I should say. It's not a comedy show. I usually say segue into the next bit, uh, but it's not a comedy show. Last I checked out, uh, Joe Biden says that Satchel Page was the greatest Negro of all time. <laughs> Uh, so this is from Fox News. Uh, President Biden referred to the late baseball player Satchel Paige as the great Negro before correcting himself during his Veterans Day ad- address at Arlington National Cemetery on Thursday. Biden was honoring former U.S. Ambassador to Hungary Donald Blinken, a Army veteran and father of Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. All right, so that's a weird connection, you know, to have the Secretary of State be the father or be the son of a former ambassador to Hungary. Uh, that's a little bit of a sketchy thing, but again, it's neoliberalism that we're talking about. So, 
During his speech, when he launched into a story about Page, who played in the so-called Negro Leagues before moving to Major League Baseball in the late 1940s, uh, I've adopted the attitude, uh, it later goes on to say, I've adopted the attitude of the great Negro at the time, pitcher of the Negro Leagues, who went on to become a great pitcher in the pros in Major League Baseball after Jackie Robinson. His name was Satchel Page. Uh, And Satchel Page... and it later goes on to say, and Satchel Page on his 47th birthday pitched a win against Chicago. Biden continued all uh, continued, and all the press went in and said, Satch is amazing, 47 years old. No one's ever, ever pitched a win at age 47. How do you feel about being 47? He said, boys, that's not how I look at it. And they said, how do you look at it, Satch? And he said, I look at it this way. How old would you be if you don't know how old you were? Biden, 78, went on to joke that he's only 50 years old, and the 95-year-old Blinken is 47. And, um, listen, I know conservatives were, were pretty mad at, about it. You know, I mean, obviously when you see uh, the he- the headlines say that that Joe Biden stated Satchel Page is the greatest Negro of all time, uh, that's, a, that's a very sort of racial way of looking at things. Uh, but when you listen to the context of it, it's not that bad, honestly. Like, I actually understood what he meant, you know. I feel like conservatives are only saying this because they themselves aren't offended by it, but they're only looking at it to see the sheer hypocrisy of liberals who claim racism at everything, but they don't claim racism for this. I think that's the wrong way of going about things. And I thought, in the context of it all, it was kind of lighthearted, entertaining, understandable. And uh, he said the same quote about it to the Pope, and uh, the Pope really loved it. So I'm sure he just said it at Arlington National Cemetery because he just wanted to get a similar laugh, a similar pop. And uh, I'm sure it killed there, but uh, didn't really translate well online. Um, so, sorry, I had to... I, I had my, I mean, my nose is itchy, I'm sorry. Um, but here's the thing about all that. Uh, listen, Joe Biden is who he is. He's a establishment Democrat through and through. He's a moderate. He's a neoliberal. He's responsible for some of the worst decisions ever. I mean, he was behind NAFTA. He was behind the 94 crime bill. He was behind the Iraq war. Um, he was behind, he was the vice president during the bailout. Uh, he's definitely not an individual that people should idolize. And he does have a racial past as well. I mean, he's been racist. Uh, many people, he teamed up with Democrats that were a part of the KKK um what he said disparagingly about black people uh is a tale of all its time uh it doesn't take two and two together to see that joe biden comes from a very sort of antiquated way of viewing things having said all that i don't think this quote is that offensive i really don't i i don't i i fail to see the connection there's so many different ways to go after joe biden this isn't one of them um don't get me wrong, you know, obviously, is he a, a, is he a very sort of well-to-do guy? Is he a person that uh, treats everyone equally? Um, probably not. I mean, uh, look at his past, look at his history. But I don't really see this as being that racist. I mean, he called him a great Negro, you know? I don't know if he is. Uh, apparently, he was 118 and 80. Uh, that was his win-loss record as a pitcher. Uh Compare that to, like, Verlander, or compare that to, uh, uh, I don't know. What, what other pitchers are good? 
Max Scherzer, you know, compare that to a Steven Strasburg. I mean, is it that great? Is that record that great? I'm not so sure. I don't think so. Uh, so, I, I mean, is it as good as like Dwight Gooden? You know, uh, I don't think so. Uh, so I don't know if it's true that he is the greatest Negro. Maybe, maybe he is, maybe he's not. Uh, but listen, I think it's lighthearted. I know what he was getting at, that age is just a number and that we should focus on, uh, focusing on what's good for the country, even though I don't think Joe Biden is good for the country. I personally don't believe Biden is a good representative for this country. I think we should focus on more and more, more and more important issues and topics such as being able to have healthcare for everyone, making it universal, uh, getting out of all the foreign entanglements that we're currently in. I think that that's way more effective. Dealing with inflation that Biden is obviously the catalyst for, uh, dealing with how we can get back to normal and how we can stop uh, acting as if, as if it's normal to have vaccines each and every six months. You know, because again, while I do believe the vaccines are effective, uh, Susan Wachowski, if you're if you're listening, uh, Susan Wozniak, if you're listening, the vaccines are extremely effective. Uh, so again, listen, I, I think there are far more important things to worry about, to focus on, to discuss. Uh, Joe Biden saying Satchel Page is the greatest Negro. It's just another part of the culture war. It's a smokescreen for deviating from topics that can actually benefit individuals. And, you know, when you see inflation uh, occurring at extraordinarily alarming rates going up extravagantly, when you see the supply chain crisis, when you see our foreign entanglements and how we're still in Iraq and now we're bombing Syria on the daily, when you see our inability to get health care and how people are rationing insulin, you know, these are issues, these are, these are problems that are currently, that we are currently facing in society and that should be addressed. Uh, not say Joe Biden going after Satchel Page. You know, there are far more important things that we can discuss and that we can dis- uh, talk about. Uh, this is simply a smokescreen for things that uh, are more and more important than that of remarks said by Joe Biden. So if I was, uh, you know, analyst for Fox or whatnot, or I-, I would sort of lay off of this because, you know, don't throw stones in glass houses. You know, like, if we're going to, like, say that this is racist, then you should also make sure that your backyard is also clean, uh, which we can all attest to probably isn't. Uh, so, yeah, that's just my uh, overall thoughts and opinions on the Joe Biden satchel page thing. Um, hopefully we can focus on more and more important topics than that. Uh, I hope to God we can. Uh, you know, I mean, listen, there are times where I think topics like these are important. You know, when Joe Biden was talking to Charlemagne the God and said, if you're black and you're not voting for Joe Biden, then you ain't black. Which I think I thought that was very, very eye opening. And I'm like, okay, like this person is not doing well. He's not cognitively there. Um, And honestly, him calling Satchel Paige the greatest Negro shows me that he can't cognitively function because we all know he isn't. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, if we're going to be honest with you, if if we're going to be honest, Jordan takes the cake, you know, like, like me, like him saying that Satchel Page is the greatest one. And that shows me that he, he's not able to function correctly. <laughs> that shows me that he's on a mental decline uh, when he's referencing players that are 50, 60 years 
past their play you know like that's when i know he's not cognitively there um but yeah uh overall this is just a a smokescreen this is just another part of the culture war and hopefully we can focus on things more important than that uh because the dems are going to get rolled they're going to get steamrolled in the 2022 midterms i'm not i'm not a policy expert i'm not uh i'm not i don't for i am not a good predictor of what's to come but let's be honest with you, the Republicans are going to win the House and the Senate by 2022, and it's going to be a, a Republican House, a Republican Senate, with either Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as the president. And it's going to be a crap show. Trump is going to run again in 2024. DeSantis will also run. Just get your popcorn ready, as Ter- Terrell Owens would say, because we're entering into the last few years of American excellence as if we already haven't passed American excellence already. So get your popcorn ready because you're going to enter a shit show in the next coming months. It's, it's going to be in the, next coming, in the next coming years because it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. You're going to see Kamala and Pete Buttigieg running on the same ticket in 2024 because, as we all know, Joe Biden isn't there. And you're going to see Trump and DeSantis... Or Trump and some, you know, person that checks the box, the woke box, whether it's like some African-American or some lesbian or whatever, because the Republicans are no different than the, than the Democrats. So, again, it's going to be crappy. It, it, just enjoy, and, and more importantly, don't partake in the process. I'm not going to vote in the national election. I suggest you guys don't vote as well, because it's gay and uh, nothing will ever change so we're entering into the into the latter half of american exceptionalism into american excellence so just enjoy it just enjoy the novelty of it and appreciate what this country how this country has been built and how this country will inevitably crash and burn so just enjoy all of it um because it's going to be interesting so all right uh let's get into the next topic for today or the last topic before I get into my weekly pick, John Gruden is suing the NFL. So if you guys haven't uh, heard, John Gruden, who was fired uh, from uh, from the Raiders, from the Oakland Raiders, has decided to file a lawsuit against John Gruden. So this is from uh, Fox News source. John Gruden filed a, long, uh, filed a lawsuit against the NFL and Commissioner Roger Goodell in Nevada District Court on Thursday, alleging they leaked private emails to the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal to force him out of a hedge coaching job with the Las Vegas Raiders. John Gruden has filed suit against the National Football League and Commissioner Goodell in the 8th Judicial District Court in Clark County, Nevada. The complaint alleges that the defendant selectively leaked Gruden, uh, Gruden's private correspondence to the Wall Street Journal and New York Times in order to harm Gruden's reputation or force him out of the job. Gruden's attorney, Adam Hosmer-Henner, said in a statement to Fox News Friday. There is no explanation or justification for why Gruden's emails were the ones made public. Out of the 650,000 emails collected in the NFL's investigation of the Washington football team, or for why the emails were held for months before being released in the middle of the Raiders season. In contrast to the formalities of the Washington football team investigation, defendants' treatment of Gruden was a Soviet-style character, Soviet character assassination. There was no warning and no process. Defendants held the emails for months until they were leaked to the national media in, in the middle of the Raiders season in order to cause maximum damage to Gruden. The complaint stains. Okay. Um, a lot of information that I gave you. And uh, here's the thing with John Gruden. I'm with John Gruden. Right? Like, this was an investigation on the Washington football team. 
This was an investigation on Dan Snyder, the owner of that team. The fact that he was the only one that was being punished for it is sick to my stomach. It does. And I know people say that his emails are racist. And listen, as a comedian, as a person that values funny, I know what he was trying to get at. Uh, Was it racist? I'm not so sure. Should he have been fired? Hell no. People have said far worse things on Twitter 10 years ago, and they're still doing well. You know, again, this is just another part of how cancel culture is affecting people. And I, I know it's played out to say cancel culture. I know that, you know, it's like, oh, I know people like to sort of lampoon and lambast uh, people that, you know, sort of use the defense of cancel culture or sort of come after cancel culture. But I'm sorry, 10-year-old emails, we're going to snoop past 10-year-old emails and and effectively fire people because of that? I I mean, again, he again, the thing that I have issue with John Gruden is that the fact is the fact that he used a work email. Right? If he said this on a regular text chain, I get it. Um that's one of the issues that I have with John Gruden is the fact that he used it on a work email. But still, he shouldn't have been fired. Because as we all know, owners have routinely done a lot worse than what John Gruden did. Look at what Dan Snyder did to the Washington cheerleaders. Look at what Stan Kroenke did to the city of uh, St. Louis. Again, like he used taxpayer money to fund the stadium. And then at the, fir- at the first sign of trouble, he moved straight to Los Angeles. So again, there's so many far worse owners out there that are dirtbags and sleazebags that have done far worse than that of John Gruden. I mean, look at, you know, I mean, are we really sure that Jerry Jones hasn't said the N-word like, come on, like this person is a Southerner through and through. He's he's 70 years old, 80 years old. Clearly, he must have said it once or twice while watching the Cowboys. Like, come on, like, are we really going to go after people in the NFL for what they say? Because if we're going to go after the if we're going to go after people within the NFL for what they say, then effectively cancel and fire all of these NFL players. Because I'm sure that they've said a few disparaging remarks of gay people on the field. Come on. Like, this is the NFL we're talking about. <laughs> like, like if, when you have people like these, like, when, you, when you're dealing with people within the NFL, you've got to be more sort of, you got to care. You know, like, you got to understand that they're not going to be the most PC people uh, because of the fact that they have different backgrounds and whatnot. So, again, like, I'm happy that he's suing the NFL. Honestly, like this is a, I, I know I mentioned smoke screens a lot during this podcast. Now, and in my title, this the smoke screen episode. I don't know, uh, but again, this is just covering the blow for something even more harmful and more substantial. And the fact that his that only his emails were leaked out of the so six hundred fifty thousand that they scanned through, it shows me that the owners have Roger Goodell like a puppet, and they're just sort of stringing him along. Uh, because he is the face of the NFL. Everything that uh, is wrong with the NFL goes after the commissioner as opposed to the owners. And if anything, it, it, it is really bad when you see them go after John Gruden but not have the same sort of energy or have that same energy for owners who have done far worse than him. I mean, think of the owners that are finding different ways to have tax havens and tax shelters and who are, don't pay their share of taxes which again i know people i for me i don't really care it's like whatever save your money or whatnot but uh, but again like 
don't, don't get me wrong. A lot of these owners do have tax havens and tax shelters and find ways to pay very little in taxes. Isn't that way more detrimental than what John Gruden said about, I don't know, about black people? Like, come on. <laughs> like, like, let's be honest here. Uh, and again, like, how many owners have been involved in sex trafficking? You know, I mean, I can go on and on and on about how, how dirtbag these owners are. But again, it, it, he should be suing the NFL. He should. It, it makes no sense for him not to. Again, like, he's fighting for his life here. Like, come on. Like, again, these are 10-year-old emails. Are we really going to cancel somebody for, for what he said 10 years ago? I, I can. I can do that. You know, I, I truly can. I'm, I'm a person that understands the fraudulence uh, of cancel culture. And I, I know that people that are going after John Gruden probably said just as bad, if not worse, about these same people that John Gruden said about those people. So it, it's hard for me to really support uh, individuals that are so up in, in support of the NFL for doing these actions. I just can't support it. it it's hard for me to do it. I'm sorry. I, I got to be honest here. You know, I mean, if he said this, I mean, listen, I I understand going after John Gruden for doing this on a work email, but to outright fire and, 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 and to cancel him and to tell him that he can't come back to the NFL, come on, like, it's dumb, it's dumb. And I don't know, I felt like the entire circus around John Gruden wasn't that great. I'm sorry, it, it wasn't that great, and... It was hard for me to really stomach it and to see it on ESPN and Fox Sports and whatnot. Because um, he shouldn't... Listen, I understand why certain people had their issues with it. But to cancel someone for something that he said 10 years ago, can we not let people grow and develop and change? I mean, I'm sure most of those people that work for the... Or that play for the Oakland Raiders had a good re relationship with John Gruden. You know? Like, come on, like, you have to, you have to, the mark of a true person is by understanding who their character is, as opposed to what they say, you know, actions speak louder than words. And I'm sure John Gruden was a great coach for a lot of those players. So maybe not for Keyshawn Johnson, but for a lot of those players. So I had to, I had to support him. I'm sorry. I got to, I got to. All right. Uh, let's get into my weekly pick. So each week I, I recommend a book, a piece of art, a film, a, uh, an album that I really enjoyed that I think you guys will enjoy as well. This week, I'll be recommending Tom Green's Freddy Got Fingered. So this is Tom Green's directorial debut. He made Freddy Got Fingered in 2001, which is basically an X-rated Adam Sandler film. It details a cartoonist who moves out of his parents' home to LA and gets a job making sandwiches. And uh, it, it seems kind of boring because it's a person like living their dream, you know, chasing their chasing their aspirations and how his father isn't very supportive of it so it's a very sort of classic comedy trope that's going on but he does it in such a way that is so experimental and provocative and it's hilarious i truly truly enjoyed this film it's one of my favorite comedy films ever um so many favorite scenes of, there are so many favorite scenes of mine in this film one where he jerks off a horse that was hilarious one where he gives betty jewels <laughs> that was also really hilarious. Uh, the childbirth scene, also amazing. One of my favorite scene though has to be uh, it, the Freddy Got Fingered title is a reference to how his brother Freddy 
got molested by his father. It's kind of dark, I know. Uh, but there's this one scene where it's just a shot of where, where Freddy goes into the, like this institute or this like sort of help for like people who, yeah. But it, basically for people uh, who had the same uh, experience for him. And there's like this still shot of of institute for the sexually molested like it's it that made me audibly laugh and and giggle and it was one of the most hilarious things i have ever seen uh that's my favorite shot in the entire movie uh i i audibly gasped for like a good five minutes it was so hilarious i i truly love this film there's so many you got to listen to this or watch this within the context of the film because me just saying this out loud i know people will be like oh they'll like sort of be taken aback like oh like why is he finding this funny if you watched it within the context of the film it is so hilarious i truly truly enjoyed this film the soundtrack is amazing you know there are songs from uh the sex pistols to green day to Real some shady, you know. Apparently, Eminem talked about Tom Green and his uh and his uh song or rapped about Tom Green's song. So this was a great film. I truly, truly enjoy this film. I think you guys will enjoy it as well. And it it makes me realize that Tom Green is either he either made the greatest worst movie of all time or the greatest comedy film of all time. He either created the greatest worst movie of all time or the greatest film of all time. There's no in between. I really enjoyed this film. Um, there's this one moment in, in in that film. I don't want to spoil too much about it, but he's like, he go he goes to the bus stop because he wants to go to L.A. He lives in Portland or something uh, at the moment, and his dad gives him a little baron, and. He sort of looks at Freddy, who is who is his younger brother, and he's like, "Where's your little Baron, Freddy? Where's your little Baron? I don't see it. I don't see. I don't see it, Freddy. I'm the better brother, Freddy." And his and his brother is like well to do. I mean, he's a banker. Uh, he he's successful. Tom Green's character, on the other other hand, still lives with his parents. Cartoonist. He's like 27, 28. I'm assuming he's like older. He's getting older. Um, but. And that, that entire sequence was hilarious. The opening montage of him going through the mall with a skateboard, I felt that was very sort of... It, it really gave you an understanding as to what you could expect in the film. Where it's like, okay, I'm not a part of your world. You know, this this mall is your structure, and I am the outcast to your structure, and I'm going to show it to you through this film. I don't belong in your world. You know, I, that's a, I sort of like found that out when I was watching it. Um, that I'm not a part of your order. I'm not a part of your what you expect me to be. And I thought that was very sort of poignant and touching. But anyways, Freddy Got Fingered, Tom Green, great film. I love it. And uh, that will be my wiki pick for today. So guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Also, make sure you subscribe to both my podcast channel and my podcast clips channel. Make sure you, uh, you rate, review, on, and subscribe on iTunes, and if you're on WhatsApp, if you're international, make sure you spread the word on WhatsApp as well. So guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I will be talking about the ATB finals. I'm very sorry for Berrettini because uh, I know he has abdomen pains and whatnot. So very sorry for Berrettini. I hope he gets better, but I will be talking about the ATB finals on Thursday as well as the Peng Shui news 
and uh, certain things that are happening within our political and societal realm as well. So, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you guys on Thursday. All right, guys. Peace. See you all.